morning, everybody. Thank, thanks, thanks, guys. <laughs> Morning's the rest of you as well. Um, so we, as we started 2024, um, we haven't had a particular theme. We have just been hearing from people about what God has put on their heart. And today, it's my turn. And what I love and find so encouraging about God is that even though I'm going to be using different words today, it definitely weaves in and out of what Carla was sharing, and what um, Sarah was sharing last week, and what Pete bought, and what Julie's been bringing and so it just gives us a really rich picture of the invitation that God has for us this year. Now, a little fun fact that I and Revs have in common is that we were both born slash birthed in 1983. And so we were embarking on our 40th year. And for me, and I think us, this is not a moment to pass by lightly. The number 40... Um, shows up 159 times in the Bible. And when the Bible repeats something again and again and again, it's a clue that we need to pay attention to it. So the number 40, I have learnt, often relates to a period of testing, trial, or probation. It symbolises the length of a generation, and so we can look at it as a time for new growth, new life, and transformation. It can also signal um, a, a change from one great task to the next great task. It represents a transition moment and a threshold to be crossed. And when I read this, it really resonated with me personally, but I believe that it also speaks to the moment that we're in at REVS. In January 2023, um, I was nine months out for my 40th birthday, and I felt God, God clearly say to me, Lou, come on, it's time to stop circling the promised land and enter in. But first, you have some things to deal with, some behaviours and habits that are keeping you stuck in this circling pattern. Um, it's time to deal with them and step over the threshold. Now, not really the encouragement I was looking for at the beginning of last year. I was more hoping for a well done, good and faithful servant, a dove or two descending from heaven and just like a pat on the back, really. And so I did what any normal, sane person would do. I went to find someone who would agree with me. So I went to Will and I said, this is what I think God is saying. And ridiculous, I know. And um, alas, God, uh, Will agreed with God. In fact, you'll be surprised to know that he was able to point out several things. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Um, several areas where I could be perceived as being stuck in a slightly circling pattern. And of course, like the mature person that I am, I did not sulk or have any tantrums whatsoever. I dealt with it very <laughs> maturely. Um, just to put your mind at ease, there was no big sin thing. It was just like these little <laughs> patterns that were just keeping me a little bit stuck. And despite this actually feeling like a, a bit of a brutal re rebuke, what I know of God and of Will meant it was actually a really kind encouragement. There was an offer into something more. God's consistent invitation is always come in, follow me, come closer, choose freedom. He invites us further up and further in. And that's what I think God wants to say to us at the beginning of our 40th year, is to come and enter the promised land. This is a transition moment. There is a threshold to cross. There is more ahead than there is behind. Revelation Family Church, come further up and further in. So whether you've been here right at the beginning of time, when Revs was first birthed, or whether you've been here 40 minutes, this is an invitation for each of us individually but it's also um, something that I think is for us corporately as a church. So when we say yes in these little small ways in our everyday moments, it has a profound impact on our, uh, the whole body of the church. So I really want to encourage you to listen 
and ask God what it is for you individually to move further up and further in. So what do I mean by the promised land? Right from the beginning of time, God has, has um, given us these places and spaces that we can have intimacy with God and a place where we can flourish. And flourishing speaks of health and thriving. The world's beyond flourishing is self-focused, where it's all about us. But biblical flourishing is, about, is missional and outward-focused. It looks like us being all that we were created to be and doing all that we were created to do, and whilst being rooted in community. We flourish when we help other people flourish. The first example we see of this is in the Garden of Eden, the promised land, the first promised land, a place where Adam and Eve were able to walk in the cool of the day with God. A gift, this gift came with a seemingly very simple instruction. You just have to trust God. But we all know what happens. Adam and Eve chose their own way and they forfeit their place in the garden and are exiled. We are made to be in constant communion with God. That's how we're designed. And our journey of faith is to step step by step by step, move further up and further in towards God. But what we do time and time again is to rely on ourselves and move the other way. And this is what the Bible, where the Bible uses that strange word called sin. <clears throat> I saw this on Instagram this week from John Piper. He says, what is sin? It is the glory of God not honoured, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savoured, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. That is sin. I'm sure none of us can relate to that. <laughs> That God is not surprised or shocked by our sin. Romans 3 verse 23 states that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all go go our own way, but thankfully God doesn't keep us in exile. The big story weaving from Genesis to Revelation is God's redemption plan, where he pursues us, comes to find us, rescues us, and gives us a hope for the future. God always has a plan to bring his people back to this original design of being with him and us flourishing. God creates other promised lands where we can experience God's presence. Over the last year, I've unsurprisingly been drawn to the story of the Israelites from their um, journey from captivity to, to their promised land. God picks out a guy called Abraham and starts promising him this new land, telling him that he's going to make him a great nation through his family, that they, these will become the Israelites. And the whole point is that God wants to bless him and his family so that they will be a blessing to others. And this is a story that spans quite a few books in the Bible, so I'm not going to go into lots of detail. We will be here all day. Um, But what ensues from, from there is this exhausting dance of God coming close and being rejected, of God being faithful and his people proving disloyal, of God rescuing his people from captivity and his people enslaving themselves, of God displaying his power and goodness and people opting for man-made idols instead. It's a cycle of dysfunction and disobedience, rebellion and rejection. And yet God's heart is still to be with his people. And so he finds different ways to bring his presence to them. He doesn't abandon his restoration plan. He doesn't take away the promise of this place where we can be with him. 
there is still a promised land invitation for the Israelites, just as there is a place uh, there is for us. There is a space for us to step further up and further in. And so if we fast forward many, many, many years, um, a journey that should have taken the Israelites 11 days takes 40 years. The patterns, habits, and behaviors of the Israelites literally keep them in this circling pattern, wandering around in the wilderness, not being able to enter the promised land. But then the Israelites find themselves at the threshold. They can see where they're meant to be going. And at the cusp of this transition, their leader at the time, Moses, says this to them. He pleads, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, these two commands are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. Listening means much more than just hearing. It means obeying. We listen and, and obey when we love God. And when we love God, we listen and obey. And so the cycle goes on. This is how they were to live in the promised land. To listen, to do what he asks, and to love him with all that they are. And it's here that I want to zoom in because I think this is, there's a few things that we can glean and learn from this moment that the Israelites had and apply it to this moment we find ourselves in as a church. For the Israelites, this promised land was a physical space. You can find it on the map. Um, and it, they were moving physically into a space. But because of what Jesus did for us, our promised land is this place of intimacy and flourishing, and it happens whenever we choose to turn to him, and we do what he asks us to do. The promised land is a place where we are saying yes to the invitation of journeying further in and further up. I don't know what you think of when I say promised land. I think of this beautiful wide open space where it's very easy and I have everything that I need. Surely it's meant to be like the first promised land, like the Garden of Eden. But no. As Joshua sends in spies to scope out this new land, they find it occupied by their enemies. There are clearly going to be battles ahead and things to be dismantled. I'm not sure it's what they would have envisaged. It's definitely not what I envisaged. But they make the journey across the Jordan River, entering this new place. And the first thing I find so interesting about this is that not everyone chose to cross the threshold. Some of them make their home outside the boundary lines. Despite this momentous occasion, this thing that they've been promised for years and years and years, the thing they've been journeying towards, battling towards, wrestling towards, they stop at the last hurdle. Close enough to see it, but not to experience Rather than to join in with what God is doing, they opt out. They call their choice good and God's invitation foolish. The promised land may not be how we imagined. It may not be wide open and easy. It may be messy and have some battles or things that we need to wrestle with. Sometimes the promised land requires us to surrender our own ideas of what we feel God has promised us. To surrender our own metrics for what is good or foolish, worthwhile or worthless. I wonder whether sometimes it's easier to walk in the wilderness. It feels safer, more familiar than entering into a new place. But when we restrict rather than yield, sorry, resist rather than yield, we miss out on the invitation that God is, is presenting us with, which is come up, come further up and further in. Entering the promised land is going to require listening to God and being obedient to what he asks of us, especially when it doesn't make sense. Maybe it looks like giving away what you have, giving up a position, your time, or your rights. It entails doing things in the upside-down way of the kingdom, laying down our lives, when, which actually means we find them. 
entering the promised land is going to require surrender. The Israelites that do cross the, um, cross the promised land, uh, cross the Jordan into the promised land, and they set up camp. And I imagine them in my mind's eye unpacking these, their packs of bags or whatever they had at the time, discarding the things that they don't need to carry any longer, looking at each item and think, remembering the thing that they needed to use it for in the wilderness, uh, but throwing it away because it's no longer fit for purpose. The second thing I think we need to do as we inhabit the promised land is to shed a bunch of stuff. Shed the things that weigh us down and are no longer fit for purpose. Perhaps it's something physical or a mindset or behavior. These things that we had to rely on in the wilderness are now obsolete. For me, I know that God continually, continually asked me to shed my defensiveness. A skill that kept me safe for a long time but now no longer serves me. It once kept me alive, and now it keeps me captive, and I need to shed it. Not once, annoyingly, but again and again and again. Whenever I find it, it's weighing me down, and I'm not living in the freedom that God has gifted me. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What I find really fascinating is that this is done in the promised land. It wasn't a condition of entering the promised land. I think that this shows that this invitation of further up and further in, of crossing the threshold into the promised land, is not dependent on us getting it right. He is fully aware, more aware than we are, of our brokenness and our need for him. It seems there is a way of being in the promised land and yet still being weighed down and entangled. And what he's designed for us is to run free. So perhaps you need to shed and throw off comparison, unforgiveness, numbing out, self-righteousness, greed, self-sufficiency, anything that stops us fully trusting in God. We need to get good at confession, shedding the facades, Showing who we really are than who we hoped we'd be. Shedding the lenses that make us appear right and others appear wrong. Taking the planks in our own eyes rather than fixating on the splinters of others. We step further up and further in as we bow low in vulnerability and humility. It's in this uncomfortable act of confession that we get to experience the full freedom and gift of the promised land. The promised land is going to require us to shed some things. The promised land is also <laughs> going to require us to be supple. Not very easy when you turn 40. Um, <clears throat> as God invites us further up and further in, what is ahead of us is so much more than what is behind. But what got us to this point is not what is going to get us to where he is beckoning us. We need to be supple. To be attentive to how God wants us to belong and behave in this new land. For the Israelites, and sometimes for us, crossing the threshold of the promised land will be this big, momentous occasion. But mostly, I think it is in the small day-to-day decisions where we attune our ears to God's word, Jesus' Jesus's example, and the Holy Spirit's whispers. Where we don't rely on what has worked in the past, but instead diligently ask what God would have us do now. When it feels easy, and when it's hard. When it is seen, and when it's in secret. When it makes sense and when it doesn't. When it makes us look successful and when it makes us look foolish. I love this quote by Anne Voskamp. She says, we want clarity and God gives us a call. We want a roadmap and God gives us a relationship. 
We want answers and God gives his hand. I wonder whether part of us moving further up and further in looks like taking God's hand and letting him take the lead. Nimbly changing course, following the dance of faith on our toes. The promised land is going to require us to be supple. And so I come full circle. (laughs) I think this 40th year is a transition moment for us at Revs, where the invitation is for each of us individually, but also corporately, to come further up and further in. As I've been praying this week, this is what I've been seeing. I see many of us arriving at a threshold where God is pleading with us not to make our home on the edge of the promise he has for us, but to surrender and enter in. I see him rearranging and refining us so we can shed all the stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with him and with others. I see him redirecting, readjusting and repurposing our lives, keeping us supple and on our toes, letting us know the next right thing, but keeping us in the dark so that we have to, for the next thing, so that we have no other choice but to trust him. There is more of a head ahead of us than is behind. Revs, will you come further up and further in? Good, thanks. <laughs> Carl is much better than me because when I hear that invitation, I'm like, maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you are at surrendering or shedding or being supple. For me, none of those things come easy. Since I've turned 40, um, the promised land is not what I thought it would be. It is messy. It's taken wrestling. Last, um, when Bev was here, I was literally on my knees and I was saying to God, like, you're going to have to wrestle some things from me because I do not want to surrender this. I will not. You're going to have to prise my fingers open if that's what you want me to do. I would much rather know every step of the plan and to know that the plan means it's going to be okay. But I still hear this persistent whisper from God. And I hear it for me and for us. Don't stay here. There is so much more ahead. Come further up and further in. So I don't really know, (laughs) like, this, because this doesn't come easy to me, um, all I can do is pray and ask for God's help. And when he says, go, go. And so I just wonder whether we just let the words... um, settle for a moment but I do think that this is a moment for us to to say yes or to say no (laughs) I think this is there is a decision to be made today so I wonder whether you would just stand we'll just spend maybe a minute or so in silence and I just want you to ask what is it God that you're asking me to do Notice the bits that are leaping inside of you or the bits that are like, nope, I definitely do not want to do that. Both of those (laughs) reactions probably mean that God is asking you to do something. So let's just wait and ask God what it is that he would have us do.